This is another episode of Connecting the Dots podcast. I'm Skip Stewart, Vice President and Chief Improvement Officer for Baptist Memorial Healthcare. Now, today is a unique uh, podcast in many ways. Uh, this is the first time uh, in 150 episodes or so that I am flying solo. Um, we had life happen, and you know, those are things like the Joint Commission shows up, and I think all of our audience knows what I mean when I say life happens. But both of our physicians at the last minute were unable to attend, but that's okay because we're having a dear friend of mine that's been on the podcast before, Dr. Peter Hines on, and we're going to be talking about uh, the Shingo model from the Shingo Institute, and specifically we're going to be talking about the 10 guiding principles and even more focus on the cultural enablers. Those are the two principles of respect every individual and lead with humility. So this is a three-part series that we're gonna be starting today uh, on the Shingo principles and specifically on cultural enablers. But before we jump into that, uh, Dr. Hines, if you would uh, kind of tell our audience, even though you've been on the podcast before, tell us a little bit about yourself, where do you work at, and your role, and some of your background with the Shingo Institute. Sure, thank you very much, and uh, thank you for having me on again, Skip. Um, and uh, yeah, a little bit about myself. So, uh, <clears throat> so I'm based in Wales in the UK, and uh, my background after working in industry I spent about 16 years in Cardiff University um, working um, in the, the Lean Enterprise Research Centre, which I set up with Dan Jones. And um, basically in that centre, we built um, a large research focus on, on Lean um, with about 30 staff. And since that time, um, I've been working in consultancy time. Um, and in the last three years, I've pretty much now got into a role where I focus on things I like doing. So really, one of the things I like doing is working with uh, Helen Zack and uh, Ken Schneider and the team at Shingo Institute and basically seeing where we can help the, the Shingo Institute in terms of their journey. So currently doing some research on uh, leadership, um, the styles of leadership and what we might call micro behaviors, but maybe that's one for a future podcast. Oh, I, lo I love that idea. You know, uh, you know, Peter, both you and I both have the privilege and honor of being Shingo examiners, and we're also part of the Shingo faculty fellow. And and for those that may not be completely aware, uh, the Shingo Institute and the Shingo Prize is part of the John M. Huntsman School of Business there at Utah State University, and they have a robust model, a Shingo model, that uh, if you were to look at it, it looks like several diamonds of guiding principles and the connections with systems and tools and results and culture is right in the middle. But specifically on the principle side of it, there are 10 guiding principles and um, they're broken into what's known as cultural enablers, uh, continuous improvement and enterprise alignment, sometimes called the people principles, process principles, and purpose principles. But since this is a three-part series, we're going to specifically focus on the cultural enablers or the people principles. And there's two principles within that uh, section. One is called respect every individual, and the other is lead with humility. So talk to us a little bit. I know you've done tremendous amount of work in this area uh, Peter, talk to us a little bit about those cultural enablers 
and how how we might think about those? Well, I, I first like to put this in a bit of context, Skip, because, um, you know, people process and um, uh, purpose is, is a very nice framework. And, um, you, you know, Jim Womack talked about that many years ago and I think was influential in, in, in popularizing that. And, uh, you know, back in my history, back in the 1990s, when I was doing a lot of research, we were looking at process very much. And in fact, I did some work in the early 90s and wrote the first piece on value stream mapping, sort of thinking this was all about processes. And around that time, I then understood that you needed a purpose for that as well. So I started exploring in the late 90s about Hoshin Canary and took myself to Japan and understood this from Toyota, etc. And it was probably not until the early 2000s that it dawned on me that actually probably the people bit was the most important bit and organizations that were getting furthest on creating sustainable change really had a handle on this sort of social side of things the people side of things which wasn't necessarily my my starting point and um and i think you know one of the things that differentiates the shingo approach from many other the sort of lean six sigma agile you know all the other approaches that we're familiar with is there's much more focus on on this human side and, and the, the cultural enablers fits right in the middle, as you said, of the Shingo model. And um, obviously, as you said, there's 10 principles that fit there. Um, to, to be honest, uh, my thinking is 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 actually the respect every individual, I think, underpins all the other principles. And if I was to say, well, what was the most important principle, I would say, respect every individual because that's the starting point of of this type of approach and you know if you respect him every individual you have to leave by humility with humility because you are respecting the individual and this sort of puts me in mind of you know studying some of the toyota approach which you know a lot of the principles that that we see have parallels in in what we see at toyota and and in their in their sense the toyota way they divide it into continuous improvement, which is a lot of the Toyota production system we're all familiar with or whatever version we all have. On the other side, they call respect uh, for people. I, I actually prefer the respect every individual um, because, you know, the, the, the key difference here is it's easy as Bob Miller, who I think coined this when he was, um, you know, head of the Shingo Institute. It's very easy to respect, say you respect people, but what does that mean? But do you respect every individual, even that person you don't necessarily see eye to eye to, uh, you don't get on with and, and maybe is not as cooperative as might need? Do you really respect that individual? So if you go back to the sort of Toyota approach, you know, we've got you know, the Toyota production system that captures a lot of the lean stuff that we know about. But what what captures this human side? And that's, I think, building on this culture and neighbours and starting with what does the individual bring? What is the power of the individual? And, and you know, another thing that strikes me is, you know, <clears throat> you know, Toichi Ono coined the seven wastes. And a lot of us talk about the eighth waste of wasted human potential. For me, I, I don't really, I've never really been comfortable with that being an eighth waste because I think the seven wastes around that sort of continuous improvement and, and so forth. For me, this one of the opportunity to get more out of our people, 
the opportunity for people to feel more motivated, the opportunity for people to see that they can create more contribution to the organization is as actually this very vital part. I don't see it's a waste. I see it as an opportunity. So I think we need to look at that from a sort of positive psychology point of view rather than a sort of negative psychology we often see in, in lean. So for me, this is really the underpinning of everything else that we, we should be doing. Really, really good, Peter. So let, let me let me run something by you. Let's play a little catch ball and and uh, see if you agree or disagree, which mm-hmm. is fine either way. You know, I think, you know, as, as a friend, you and I've talked about um, for the last two and a half, three years, I w- was privileged and honored to be coached by the late Dr. Edgar Schein. And uh, one of the things he would say to me often, uh, even when I was visiting with him in his home out in Palo Alto, California, was that he would say, Skip, life is a series of conversations and everything happens through conversations and relationships. Then he, as we talked about humble inquiry, you know, you're basically asking questions that you don't know the answer to. So when we go back to that respect every individual and we even go deeper into that, I'm respecting you, Peter, based on the way that I have conversations with you. Do Am I willing to listen to you? Listen to understand versus listening to reply. Mm-hmm. And, or am I instantly want to give you my great advice? I just heard a book recently called The Advice Trap, which I would highly recommend, how we're all prone to want to just jump in and give our advice. And even though our intentions may be good, that can come off many times as incredibly disrespectful. You know, am I am I thinking about that correctly? Yes, you are. And um, I think, you know, one of the important things here we were talking just off air before before we started this is that if you look at great leaders, what, what do they do? How do they work, etc.? And and really, it's, it, it is that inquiry base that, that Edgar Sheen talks about. And you can think about the language people use. And, and often we all understand we should be leading by asking questions and, you know, why do you do that? What are the issues in your area and so forth? And let people develop that themselves. However, I think probably in about two thirds of cases, people still lead with advice without meaning to. So it's a sort of, well, Skip, you know, what do you see the problems in your area? Um, for, for me, it's this and this. But um, but what do you think? Now, if you're in a position of power, the chances are that you, you're going to agree with what I just told you. Although I feel like I've, I've asked questions, it isn't real. You know, it's it's leading by suggestion. And actually, the really powerful leader gets beyond that and, 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 and you know, does that. And I can think of one organization that does this really well, uh, part of the Roche um, pharmaceutical company. And at their particular site, what they do is they, they pay language bingo. And they've identified different styles of leadership. So inquiry based or telling people or coaching or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And there are times when all the styles are the right style. But what they do on a Gemba walk is someone goes as the coach of the Gemba walker and they give them one point if they think that's the right language and they take off one point if they think it's the wrong language that's being used. And then when they come back, they make a note of what was said and they make a note of whether they thought that was appropriate. Now, obviously, the coach 
might be getting it wrong because there may be a reason for that. But then that re that reaches that really rich conversation about reflecting on what is the right style of conversation, the right style of leadership um, and, and, and language, et cetera, which I think is a really interesting uh, way of extending the idea of what we do on Gemba Walks and, you know, moves beyond some of the sort of, um, you know, cata coaching style that, you know, a lot of us are very familiar. I, I know you are in, in your, your uh, hospitals there. But the traditional kata coaching, I think, only captures half of what we see in, in the Toyota organization. It captures that coaching for continuous improvement. It doesn't capture the coaching for um, human development. So it, it, it doesn't capture the. So, for instance, it captures the what's your challenge in your area? OK, my challenge is to improve, I don't know, throughput through the ward or something like that. In your case, we want to get 10 percent more patients through in any given month period. And that's great. But what about the challenge for the individual? So what's my challenge? So my challenge is I want to get better at understanding what lean is about. I want to become the best person at coaching. I want to be the best person at, um, I don't know, some medical procedure or some nursing procedure or something like that. So if we think about the individual challenges as well there's a whole second part of coaching as well as the coaching for the organization now if we get the coaching for the individual right and the challenges the individual has reverse engineer that sort of kata type of approach and think of that in the same way then actually we can develop the individual and if we develop the individual they'll then develop the organization so i think there's a sort of second coaching style, as well as that sort of, um, you, you know, the traditional sort of Mike Rother five step sort of approach that we're all familiar with. Well, really, you know, really good uh, points there. You know, I know that uh, a uh, individual that's retired now, she's a coach, uh, Julie Simmons. I remember her doing a uh, presentation years ago at one of the Katakan conferences about what's love got to do with it. It mm. was the name of the Sure. Uh, presentation obviously it came from the tina turner song but you know um but what she talked about was the very point i think you're bringing up that before i'm able to coach you in a scientific thinking pattern you've got to be at a place where you know that i value you you have psychological safety that i care about you and dare i say i love you you know i remember ed shine always saying that quite often we get content seduced with the technical and we give lip service to the social element sure. but we're not just working within a system many times people will say yeah i know that we're working within a system but i wonder sometimes if they understand what the implications of that is because we're not just working in a system work we're working within a socio-technical system and i remember someone asking john shook recently when we were out at speaking together out at stanford which was more important the social or the technical and i love john shook's response he said they're not two different pillars they're like a double helix the social and the technical if mm -hmm. you try to separate them then you have the problem of trying to put them back together and i sure. thought what what great insight and then one last comment you just made me think of peter is that i remember uh one time asking Ed Shine, I said, you know, in, in my 31 year career, I've seen leaders at every industry, at every level, ask their people for ideas, suggestions, concerns, problems, 
And many times you don't hear anybody speak up. And I thought Ed's response was amazing. He said, think about it, Skip. If the relationship between that leader and those people that he's at, he or she's asking the question to is just a transactional relationship, then those people might feel like there's more to lose than there is to gain by speaking up. And I think that's what I, what you're saying. Is that right? Yeah, no, absolutely. It's uh, If you haven't established that relationship, and I think, I mean, I think a lot of us do a lot of stuff that's well-meaning, but I'm not sure we always start with the right place. So, you know, take leader standard work as one example. You know, it's very easy to sit in our office and design our leader standard work and say, well, you know, I should have coaching sessions with all of my staff once a month or whatever it is. I should have a daily or weekly Gemba walk. I should have the daily stand up, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I develop all that. But the question is, if if we are inverting the the, the pyramid and, and, and having, you know, the 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 you know the front line as as the sort of top people where we're trying to create autonomy for them and support for them rather than the other way around then we've really got to start with understanding them so if we if we understand what that individual needs to do and give of their best and be highly motivated and then we ask the question what do i need to do to support them for them to do that then actually this is how we should be building leader standard work. Whereas, in fact, it's very rare anyone builds leader standard work because, you know, CEO stands at the top. What do I do? Then they ask their reports. Well, what should you do? And it cascades all around. But fundamentally, it's still a push system. So this this is where we come back to some of the things we're talking about with the, the principles. So here we're talking about respecting every individual, but you can't respect every individual unless you have a pull system. So the pull system needs to be starting with the needs of the individual. And again, if you're in a, a production environment with Lean, we'd be talking about a, a plan for every uh, every part and how does it flow and, you know, it's in the value stream, etc. I think we should be thinking about a plan for every person. And if we think about a plan for every person, because even if we segment people into, you know, new graduates or coming up to retirement or, you know, mid-career, you know, so mid-career people need a change. People coming up to retirement are not going to change their ways. Graduates are going to, you know, it's not it's not it's not how it is. You know, everyone is actually different. So if we can create an environment where people can help, we can help people to understand themselves Think about what are they trying to achieve in their career. Think of the major challenges that they've got. Think of the daily reflections of what they opportunities they see, the daily reflections on what they think has gone well. So you create that 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 strength. And then we actually do all the things you were talking about, you know, the care, the love, you know, et cetera, et cetera, to show that we really are interested in them as individuals and, and, and people. And maybe we show a bit of vulnerability and share some things that perhaps we're not so good at or, 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 or something like that. Then actually we can start to get them to open up to then say, well, this is the help that I actually need. But how often do organizations only do that in in like a, an annual review or something right, like that? Right. And, and, and hence, you know, the employee or the associate gets to dread those annual reviews because they think it's a waste of time. 
And then how often, if we're honest, does the manager go through that thinking this is how I've got to do 10 today and another 10 tomorrow? And, and it just it just doesn't really hit the mark. And, you know, my, my way of thinking when I've seen the best leaders do this is is this sort of continual coaching and development and, and not just on development of the organization, but development of the individual, which means getting to really know them on a personal level. Um, you know their family or what their issues are and something like that connecting to them on on a more personal level than uh you're this person that does the you know janitor role or, or you do the you know nursing role or whatever it happens to be and and breaking down those barriers and get to understand and help them to think about what are they trying to achieve what are the challenges they've got and then we have those conversations of, you know, that challenge you talked about. Well, what do you think your next steps are? What is the biggest impediment in your way? So take that same sort of thinking that we do for the organisation, but think about it from the individual. And that if you take the psychology, um, you know, I, I, I think this self-determination theory uh, by Ryan and Decci, which is really common sense. But what, what they say is the three things most of us are looking for is autonomy. So we all want to have a say in what we do or our shift pattern or the decisions that are made or the ideas that we work on, et cetera, or, or just just how we work. Etc. The second thing is we all want to learn or teach, but we want to learn what we want to learn, not necessarily what the organization wants to teach us, which can be a, an issue. And we all want connectedness. So we all want to, you know, we're all sort of, if you like, tribal animals, if you like. And we all want to be connected to people. But the interesting thing, we want to be connected who we want to be connected to, not necessarily who the organisation wants us to connect to. So, in fact, you know, one of the observations I have that if we're thinking of the motivation, respect for individual, the most important time for people is probably the time at work when they're not working. And we don't manage that time or we don't often allow people to manage that time to have breaks with people they want to have breaks with when they want to have breaks with um, to organise the sort of social events or clubs or societies or interest groups that people are interested in and so forth. And actually things like, you know, certainly in the UK, we used to have tea ladies coming around and having those little chats. All those sort of stuff have been minimised and reduced. And actually what we've done is we've damaged our, our people because we've removed the things that actually create that warmth and that society and that, you know, feeling at home, etc. And then we come in and it feels harsher harsher to people the, than it than it did in the past so we've removed that sort of soft comfortable call it psychological safety if you like but it's it's the good old-fashioned warmth if you like that, that really really good had. really good you know i was thinking about what we've all experienced we've all had this shared experience the last several years as a result of the pandemic and we live in a different world uh, today than sure. we did at the beginning of 2020 and the, I always say the market has spoken, right? And whether we want to use the terms the great resignation, whether we want to use the term quiet quitting, the, the market is speaking. I'm not so mm. sure we're listening, mm. uh, but but it for sure is speaking. And I think you're right. I think people are wanting purpose in their work, and and they're sure. want. And I the sad part about it is 
a lot of people are looking for a magic wand. Okay, if we only do this, we'll make them happy and make this issue of turnover or quiet quitting or it'll all go away. But I think that more so than ever, the Shingo model and the principles of respect every individual and lead with humility come into play. How are those principles being manifested in your organization on a daily basis? You know, am I thinking about that right? I think so. I mean, you know, take the great resignation. I mean, in the UK, it's it's actually been a little bit different from that. So I think in the in the, in the US, there's been quite a lot of churn. You know, people have looked back at the job they did and they maybe were working from home some old part of the time and they go back and and a lot of people have 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 you know decided not to do that. Well, we, we've had a bit of that, but we've actually had the great resi- uh, the great retirement. So what we've had is the sort of 50 plus community or certainly 55 plus community. They've just said, I don't want to go back to that. I'm going to retire. And the problem with that is that those were in general some of the high earners. Um, so actually the tax revenue is falling, you know, and, and so forth. And we've got extra people, you know, who, who may be, you know, drawing on pensions and all this type of thing. But that's because we didn't understand, you know, that would be at a macroeconomic level rather than an organisational level, the needs of these individuals, because they perhaps weren't, you know, they weren't having the purpose and meaning. And that time reflecting during COVID was just showing them, well, this is not what I want to spend the rest of my life doing. You know, that that, that there is less meaning than than perhaps doing something else. Um, and um, and then, of course, you get these very unnecessary comments of, well, we should get these people off the golf course. And, you know, but that sums up poor leadership. Well, you know, Peter, this has been really, really good. Uh, we for sure want to have you back again. Uh, but before before we, we close out the podcast, I, I do want to bring attention to the Ashingo award winning book that you and Morgan Jones and Chris Butterworth uh, recently uh, wrote and got uh, recognized at the Shingo Institute conference back in May called Why Bother? I know my organization is a big fan of that book. We use that book. We partner with our great friend, Chris uh, Butterworth, on that book as we develop our own internal BMS review. But for those that are not familiar with Why Bother, uh, give us a little uh, quick little uh, commercial on what is Why Bother and what's the purpose of the book? Well, what we tried to do with the Why Bother book is um, it's 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 basically around uh, assessing your organization. And uh, I think for many organization, assessment is almost a bit of a dirty word. And, it, and, you know, the assessment equals audit equals management or external consultants coming down and basically showing us stuff that we're not doing well or, or what the problems are and et cetera. So, you know, it, it, in effect, it's a psychologically damaging process. People are afraid of it. They don't want to show what's really happening, et cetera. So one of the aspects is, well, how do you shift that away from that? How do you see this as a learning opportunity for people? How do you see this as, you know, a journey for them to learn how to become better, how to how to do things in a more positive way. And, you know, this has been applied by 
this thinking by many organizations. In Morgan's case, um, he, he was fortunate enough to not only be receiving a publication award, but have one of his sites receive the Shingo Prize at the same conference because they basically used this style of uh, assessment um, in their sites and used it in a very developmental sense. So I think you've got value out of it from a hospital environment. It's it's come in his sense from uh, a mining environment. In the book, we talk about many cases and many examples from different organisations that have done different things, which all add to an excellent way of of producing, uh, you know, assessment um, in in organisations. Well, well, thank you so much. We you know we picked up on exactly what you just said, Peter. Five years ago, we called our process the. BMS, which stands for Baptist Management System, the BMS review. We, we wanted to stay away from the, uh, the word audit or assessment. And uh, we, we call those individuals uh, BMS ambassadors. We have around 140 of those. But highly recommend our listeners uh, consider picking up the book called Why Bother by Chris Butterworth, Morgan Jones, and Peter Hines. And on that on that note, uh, Peter, I just want to say thank you as a friend for coming on the podcast on behalf of Baptist Memorial Healthcare. We're just so uh, thankful uh, to get to work with folks like you and and get to work with the Shingo Institute. And so, just on behalf of Baptist Memorial Healthcare, thank you so much for your time today. That's that's very nice. Thank you very much, and it's great to have been here uh, once again. Thank you.